message from Trinity Grace Church in San Antonio, Texas. For more information, please visit trinitygracesa.org. Good morning. This morning we're taking a break from our study in the book of Galatians. And as we prepare for Easter next Sunday, we're, we're spending some time um, in the Gospel of Matthew this morning. And we're going to look at the account that Matthew describes of Jesus' arrival in the city of Jerusalem, marking the final week of his life. And by way of context, let's just kind of quickly summarize the fact that by this time in the Gospel account, Jesus has been teaching and performing miracles with his disciples all over Israel for about three years. He's healed the blind, he's healed the sick. He's cast out demons and he's even raised people from the dead. And now he approaches the city of Jerusalem to celebrate Passover for one last time before his crucifixion. And so before we read our passage, I want to remind our our kids in the audience here this morning to be on the lookout for a story about the Grand Canyon and also what kind of animal kings rode. So now let's dive into the book of Matthew. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them to Matthew chapter 21, or you will find the passage printed in your bulletin. And I'm going to read the first 11 verses. Matthew writes, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying, Go into the village that is immediately in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied. And a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell them, The Lord needs them, and he will send them away at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and put, them, put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and put them in the street. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. It was the summer, or excuse me, it was the fall of 1994, October 22nd to be exact. And my dad was given two football tickets to the A&M versus Rice game. My dad and I left early on a Saturday morning to make our way to College Station. We park the truck, we we walk through campus, we're approaching the stadium, and we stop on the sidewalk right in front of Rudder Tower. And as a seven-year-old, I didn't understand, why are we stopping here? Why are we not just going into the stadium that is across the street? And as we waited, more and more people started lining up alongside us. 
more and more people are gathering together and the place is getting more crowded. And as, as a kid, I can start to feel the excitement that is building. I start to hear people yelling and cheering and I can start to hear music playing. And it's growing louder and louder as, as it's moving its way toward us. And all of a sudden, looking down the road, there's a, there's a small bend and here comes the marching band. And behind the marching band is the full A&M Corps of Cadets marching by unit. And they're preparing to enter into the stadium. And everyone is singing along with the fight song, is whooping and shouting. And this excitement is just building. And my little seven-year-old mind is getting all caught up in the excitement of what is going on. And I remember thinking, I know exactly how this game is going to end. With all of this excitement, there was no possible way that AM would do anything less but crush rice. This commotion just had got me going with this expectation that nothing can beat this. Nothing can stop what's about to happen. The core marches into the stadium and we go in and we find our seats and my dad and I sit down and we watch AM beat Rice seven to zero. Only seven to zero against Rice. The energy and excitement that I felt standing outside as this procession happened led me to these expectations of a mighty victory where AM was going to run Rice right out of the stadium. But the actual game did not match my expectation. The outcome was very different than what I had envisioned. Now, I imagine that people in Jerusalem during Jesus' time had similar feelings seeing the crowd gather, the shouts of Hosanna, save us, the waving of palm branches as Jesus entered the city. I'm sure that all of that excitement brought about certain expectations about what was going to happen next. The people of Israel were expecting a king to come and remove the oppression of the Romans. But the king that is coming was not the king that they were expecting. This morning, we will look at the question that the crowd asks in verse 10. Who is this? And to answer that question, we will look at Jesus' lordship and his lowliness. As we look at the lordship of Jesus, we will compare the expectation that people had of his lordship and then the reality of what his lordship actually entails and brings. In verse 7, Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem and the crowds began spreading their cloaks on the ground and waving branches, and the crowds coming before him and after him are shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, this is a big deal. This is not a normal occurrence. I, I doubt that there's, no, there's, that there's no one here that has had something like this happen to them as they walk down the river walk in downtown. This is... This is a unique experience that the crowd just 
opens up to singing and shouting these praises before Jesus. So what's actually going on here? Well, in verse four and five, Matthew tells us that this occurrence is actually fulfilling a prophecy. It fulfills a prophecy in the Old Testament made by the prophet Zechariah that's about Israel's coming king, the heir to the throne of David, the one who's going to restore the kingdom of Israel and give them back their identity as a nation. They shout Hosanna, which means save us. And Jesus was coming to save them. They cry Hosanna to the son of David. And Jesus was the one in whom the Davidic covenant is fulfilled. They cry, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The people of Israel were right in rolling out the red carpet as Jesus comes into the city. But they had their own expectations of what Jesus had come to do. Their expectations did not match reality. To understand the reality of Jesus' lordship, we must take a look at the passage that, that Matthew is quoting, Zechariah 9, verses 9 through 11. And I, I know we read it earlier in our service, but I'm going to read it again so it's fresh in our minds. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And as for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. This section of prophecy predicts the coming king who brings salvation. One commentator notes that this prophecy has three elements. First, that Jerusalem must rejoice for her king is coming. Second, that the king comes gently in peace. He does not come to make war, but to remove the instruments of war, chariots and war horses and battle bows. And third, The king comes to bring salvation for his reign will extend from sea to sea. So what does this tell us about the reality of Jesus's lordship? The long awaited king is not coming to wage war on a political earthly rulers, but to bring peace. Salvation is not only for the house of Israel, but his reign will spread across the nations. The fact that the people of Israel cry, Hosanna to the son of David, suggests that they might have put the pieces together, that Jesus is the Messiah, but they are at a total loss as to what he came to do. Their expectations of a political savior blinded them to the fact that Jesus will bring spiritual peace, not only to Israel, but to all nations. In a few days, by dying on the cross, and rising from the dead. Expectations will not always match the reality, but they will also keep us from seeing the truth. It was the first week 
of March, and there was a young couple that were celebrating their one-year anniversary. The two of them had planned to take a trip to tour the state of Arizona. They would spend time in southern Arizona, and then they would make their way north to Sedona and Flagstaff, and then ultimately they will end their trip at the Grand Canyon. They were both very excited to take this trip. They loved the outdoors, and they were excited to hike around Saguaro National Park and go to Cathedral Rock and Devil's Bridge. But the husband wasn't really that excited about the last part of the trip, the Grand Canyon. The husband, he had seen countless photographs of the canyon, seen it on TV, watched documentaries about the national parks and seen it. And he thought, okay, this is, this is, I'll go, but this is just a tourist trap. Like, I know what it's like. I know what to expect. It's a canyon. It's a hole in the ground. And so the husband agreed to go because he knew that his wife wanted to go and that it would make her happy and they're celebrating their first anniversary. So he wasn't going to make a commotion. He wasn't going to make her mad on this trip. So they got up early with the idea of we're going to see the sun rise over the canyon. So we're going to get up at four o'clock in the morning. We're going to drive and we're going to be there as the sun comes up. I will never forget what it looked like to see the sun rise over that canyon. As the sun lit the canyon walls, colors of red, orange, and purple just dash across the sky. Seeing the Grand Canyon in person blew my expectations out of the water. I thought I knew what it would be like, but I was blown away by seeing the depth complexity and grandness of the canyon that a photograph and a TV screen cannot tell you about. The Jews living in Jerusalem during the time of Jesus thought they understood what the Messiah was coming to do and what he would be like. They thought they had seen him clearly through the Old Testament scriptures, but they missed the depth and complexity, and grandness of what the Messiah's mission would be. One of my former professors in seminary, Dr. Doriani, writes, we face the same challenge that the Israelites faced long ago. Jesus is king, but we must let him define his kingship. We must receive Jesus as he is, not as we would like him to be. We must let him come on a donkey, not a stallion. We must let him define his reign. So how are you this morning trying to define the lordship of Christ? When we place expectations on what we think Jesus should do, that's exactly what we're doing. We're saying, Jesus, for you to be Lord, then X, Y, Z must happen. For the teenagers in the room, college students, it might sound something like this. Hey, Jesus, you can be Lord over my spiritual life as long as it doesn't interfere with my social status. You can be Lord of this, but don't touch this. 
That's an expectation we can put on the Lordship of Christ. Parents, we might say, Lord, you can be sovereign, you're, you can have sovereignty over parenting as long as my kids have the life that I want for them. As long as you make sure my plans are applied to my kids and everything goes as I want, lordship is great. But the reality is our expectations fall so short of his lordship. We don't really understand the complexity of all that his lordship is offering us. So now let us look at the reality of his lowliness together. Like the lordship, we will explore the reality of Jesus' lowliness by comparing the expectation to the reality. And throughout most of ancient history, a kingly procession was a display of power, specifically military power. Kings rode war horses, mighty, trained for battle. Horses have long been a symbol of power. And this is the reason why in the DreamWorks classic, the hero ogre Shrek has a sidekick of a donkey, not a horse. DreamWorks is playing on the irony of the story that the hero is actually an ogre. And what, what is ironic? His sidekick is a donkey. Heroes don't ride donkeys. The ancient world would have looked at this prophecy and laughed. What good is a humble king? Kings are supposed to be mighty and larger than life. They're supposed to strike fear into the hearts of of their would-be enemies. The expectation is that a humble or lowly king is a weak king. Well, what does this really say about the reality of Jesus' lowliness. Humility is not a sign of weakness. Many times we, I say we, maybe it's just me, but I think about humility as simply the opposite of pride. Meaning that we only have humility because of the fall. We have humility because it's, what shows us is the opposite of the sin of pride, but actually humility predates the fall. It's rooted in the very character of God. For Jesus, riding a donkey instead of a mighty warhorse symbolizes that he comes as an accessible king. Jesus' mission was not simply to wage war against sin and death, but to reclaim his creation. Jesus came, as Sally Lloyd-Jones puts it, as a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. He came as a prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. He is approachable. He is not presenting himself as a conquering king poised to strike fear in the hearts of his enemies, but he presents himself with approachable invitation of restoration, of peace. Over the last 
month or so, I started rereading C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy. And it's not one of his more common works, but it's actually one of my, my favorites. And the story begins with a man named Ransom. Ransom is kidnapped and he is taken to outer space to the planet that we call Mars. Um, in the book, it is known by the, the, the planet um, Malacandra. And while living, while, while on the planet, he escapes his captors and he meets the, the Martians, the, 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 the people who live on this planet. And he befriends them. He learns their language. And the people bring him to meet their ruler, a, a character named um, Oyarsa. And Oyarsa is a supernatural archangel-like being who rules over the planet. And in the second book, Lewis, he actually has written himself into the story as a character, and he is traveling down to Ransom's cottage to have a conversation with him. And as he is approaching the cottage, he realizes that Ransom is not alone in that cottage. And actually, Oriarsa is there. And Lewis himself begins thinking about the fact that he's now going to meet this supernatural being in Ransom's cottage. And he says this of this experience. He says, All the doubts I had felt before I entered the cottage as to whether these creatures would be friend or foe or whether Ransom was a pioneer or a dupe had for the moment vanished. My fear was was now of a different kind. I felt sure that this creature was what we call good but I wasn't sure whether I liked goodness so much as I supposed. This was a terrible experience. Being faced with perfect goodness and glory without relationship is a terrifying experience. When we are faced with perfection and glory, we see our own shortcomings and failures and we recoil, we pull back. Jesus is the king of the universe, full of glory and perfection. And he did not come riding into into Jerusalem with his full glory on display. He came in humility and he presents himself as accessible. Do you see Jesus as accessible? Are there things that you feel like you can't bring to Jesus? Pain, sin struggle, sadness, childhood trauma. Do you feel like Jesus will turn you away? This morning in the student's CE class, we we talked about the holiness of God and what it looks like in the Old Testament, the fact that Only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies once a year. And people weren't even allowed to touch the Ark of the Covenant because God's holiness was so great that it would consume us as mortals if we approached it in the wrong way. But the flip side is, through Jesus, as we talked about in our Sunday school, we're now temples of the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus was accessible to now we have that intimate relationship where we are the temple. We have nothing to fear. We can bring our burdens. We can bring our sin struggles. We can bring our pain. There's no burden that Jesus can't carry. He is the accessible king who comes to restore and bring peace. Now, this is Palm Sunday. We're entering a time in the church calendar that we call Holy Week. This marks the last week of Jesus's life before his crucifixion. And this marks the tone, this sets the tone of of Easter. We have expectations that to win, to bring peace, has to be a mighty act of warfare, of conquering. But actually, Jesus sets the tone here that the mighty act that brings peace and victory over sin and death is actually sacrifice. He comes not to wage war, but to bring peace. D.A. Carson mentions it like this, and he says, Jesus enters the city not like a mighty warrior, but the Lord of the universe enters the city on a, on a beast of burden so he can bear the weight of our burdens on the cross as he exits the city a week later. So we have this beautiful bookend, if you will, of Holy Week where Jesus rides in on a beast of burden in humility and he leaves the city a week later carrying our burdens on his back as he hangs on the cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the gift of your son. We thank you that you are a God who is Lord of all, who exceeds our expectations of what your lordship means. And we thank you that you are a God who does not set himself up as so far above us that we cannot enter into relationship with you, but you come to us as an accessible king who invites us to have relationship and restoration and peace through you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.